Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, Practical Buddhism for the Modern World. Each week, I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hello, and welcome to Episode 6 of Season 2 of the Toward Light Podcast. So far this season, I've been sharing some of the beginnings of Buddhism, what led Siddhartha Gautama to go looking for the truth, his awakening, and his decision to teach. Today, I'm going to share the very first teaching the Buddha shared with his friends. Remember, he had become enlightened and then had to walk for several days to get to the friends he had practiced with before. So over that time, he was able to find a way to formulate and articulate what he had learned while sitting under the tree. Today, I'm going to read a big part of that sutta, and over the coming episodes, I'll be breaking down piece by piece what that teaching is all about. Before I do that, I do want to give a little overview of how we've received these teachings. I feel this understanding has been an important thing for me because it's helped me to be in quote-unquote right relationship with these texts. The Buddha shared the teachings orally in Pali. In northern India at that time, Pali was the language spoken by most folks in the area. Sanskrit was only spoken by the Brahmins, the highest caste. So by teaching in Pali, the Buddha was making the teachings accessible to all. They were not rarefied or only for certain people. They were available and approachable. The Buddha taught to a variety of folks, sometimes only to monastics, but often to lay people of all different castes and backgrounds, from kings to farmers, and everything in between. During the Buddha's life and after he died, different monastics became responsible for memorizing and repeating different parts of the teachings. It's said that Ananda, the Buddha's cousin and attendant, had an eidetic memory and could repeat the teachings verbatim. So these teachings were passed down orally for about 500 years before they were written down. And the story that I've heard is that when they were written down, they were written down on palm leaves in the language Pali, but using Sinhalese letters. So 500 years of oral transmission, followed by an as accurate as possible transcription, which was then followed by translation into a multitude of other languages. All of this to say that when I or somebody says, quote unquote, the Buddha said, We don't really know if these were his actual words. They're translations. They're the best we have in this moment. And for 2,500 years, people have been finding freedom and relief by applying these teachings. So rather than focusing on if these are the exact words the Buddha spoke, we can use these teachings in our lives and see if they lead to freedom and ease. Because the teachings were passed down orally, there are a lot of lists because lists can be easy to memorize. There's also a lot of repetition because a bunch of different people were memorizing the same thing or similar things. So the whole Pali canon is massive and repetitive. Bhikkhu Bodhi has a great book called In the Buddha's Words, which is a collection of some of the key suttas from the Pali canon. So sutta is the Pali word that means teaching. You sometimes hear the word sutra, which is the Sanskrit word. 
Bikabodi also has translations of some of the collections of teachings, like the middle length discourses or the connected discourses that are more comprehensive. Because I'm currently traveling and don't have my physical suttas with me, I'm most often pulling suttas from the website accesstoinsight.org. And when I link to the suttas in the show notes, that's often where I'm linking to them from. I am not a poly translator, so I often read the translations that are available and pick which one resonates with me the most or seems the clearest. I've already mentioned Bhikkhu Bodhi is a prolific translator. I also really appreciate when I can find translations from Bhikkhu Analio. He's learned multiple ancient or dead languages so he can compare different versions of the suttas and come to what he feels is the closest to what the Buddha was trying to express. I sometimes use translations from Tan Jeff because he is also a prolific translator and his translations are offered for free online, often on access to insight. However, because I do not agree with his view that full bhikkhuni ordination should not be available, I try to use his translations as little as possible. So all of this information that I'm sharing right now is hopefully allowing you to feel more informed and understanding of how the teachings that I am sharing came to be. When the Buddha got to his friends and they agreed to listen to what he had to say, it is said that this teaching was setting the wheel of the Dharma in motion. This is Samyutta Nikaya, so from the Connected Discourses 5611. The translation I'm going to read today is translated by Bhikkhu Nanamolitera, and it's titled Setting Rolling the Wheel of Truth. As I read this, allow the words to wash over you, connect with what resonates, hear the repetition, and know that I will be unpacking this more piece by piece over the coming episodes. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living at Benares in the Deer Park at Isipantana. There he addressed the bhikkhus of the group of five. Bhikkhus, these two extremes ought not to be cultivated by one gone forth from the house life. What are the two? There is devotion to indulgence of pleasure in the objects of sensual desire, which is inferior, low, vulgar, ignoble, and leads to no good. And there is devotion to self-torment, which is painful, ignoble, and leads to no good. The middle way discovered by a perfect one avoids both these extremes. It gives vision, it gives knowledge, and it leads to peace, to direct acquaintance, to discovery, to Nibbana. And what is that middle way? It is simply the noble eightfold path. That is to say, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. That is the middle way discovered by a perfect one, which gives vision, which gives knowledge, and which leads to peace, to direct acquaintance, to discovery, to Nibbana. Suffering as a noble truth is this. Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, death is suffering, sorrow and lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are suffering, association with the loathed is suffering, dissociation from the loved is suffering, not to get what one wants is suffering, in short, suffering is the five categories of clinging objects. The origin of suffering as a noble truth is this. 
It is the craving that produces renewal of being accompanied by enjoyment and lust and enjoying this and that. In other words, craving for sensual desires, craving for being, craving for non-being. Cessation of suffering as a noble truth is this. It is remainderless, fading and ceasing, giving up, relinquishing, letting go and rejecting of that same craving. The way leading to cessation of suffering as a noble truth is this. It is simply the noble eightfold path, that is to say, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Suffering as a noble truth is this. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. This suffering as a noble truth can be diagnosed. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. This suffering as a noble truth has been diagnosed. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. The origin of suffering as a noble truth is this. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. This origin of suffering as a noble truth can be abandoned. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. This origin of suffering as a noble truth has been abandoned. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. Cessation of suffering as a noble truth is this. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. This cessation of suffering as a noble truth can be verified. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. This cessation of suffering as a noble truth has been verified. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. The way leading to cessation of suffering as a noble truth is this. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. This way, leading to cessation of suffering as a noble truth can be developed. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. This way, leading to the cessation of suffering as a noble truth has been developed. Such was the vision, the knowledge, the understanding, the finding, the light that arose in regard to ideas not heard by me before. As long as my knowing and seeing how things are was not quite purified in these twelve aspects, in these three phases of each of these four noble truths, I did not claim in the world with its gods, its maras, and high divinities, in this generation with its monks and brahmins, with its princes and men to have discovered the full awakening that is supreme. But as soon as my knowing and seeing how things are was quite purified in these twelve aspects, in these three phases of each of the four noble truths, 
Then I claimed in the world with its gods, its maras, and its high divinities, in this generation with its monks and brahmins, its princes and men, to have discovered the full awakening that is supreme. Knowing and seeing arose in me thus, my heart's deliverance is unassailable. This is the last birth. Now there is no renewal of being. That is what the Blessed One said. The bhikkhus of the group of five were glad, and they approved his words. This teaching is also known as the Four Noble Truths, and over the next four episodes, I'll be exploring each of these truths in depth. For right now, I want to wrap up by highlighting what was said at the beginning of the sutta. Bhikkhus, these two extremes ought not to be cultivated by one gone forth from the house life. What are the two? There is devotion to indulgence of pleasure and objects of sensual desire, which is inferior, low, vulgar, ignoble, and leads to no good. And there is devotion to self-torment, which is painful, ignoble, and leads to no good. The middle way discovered by a perfect one avoids both these extremes. This idea of a middle way, a middle path, is essential to the understanding of the Dharma. We can see this in so many aspects of our lives, where Overindulgence doesn't serve us, but restriction or deprivation doesn't serve us either. As we look at each of the noble truths, we will see again and again the importance of finding a middle way. So what I'd like to leave you with is that as you go through your week this week, take a look at any tendency you have toward extremes. Maybe it's overindulgence around food or depriving yourself of rest until you finish that one last task. Before he woke up, Siddhartha Gautama spent years on either end of the spectrum before finding a middle way. So when we see a tendency in extremes in ourselves, we aren't looking to judge ourselves for that. That's normal. There's also a lot of cultural messaging around extremes. And so we look at these extremes within ourselves and we can see if there's a possibility to find a middle way. If the tendency is to overorder at a restaurant, see if you can take part of your meal home. If the tendency is to deprive yourself of rest, see if you can go to bed 10 minutes earlier than the night before. The Dharma wheel was set in motion with this initial teaching on the importance of a middle way. So we can take that to heart and look to begin to cultivate a middle way in our own lives. Thank you for listening. Please check out any links in the show notes. You can find me on my website, towardlight.net, or on Instagram at towardlight108.